idea what it means. I saw it earlier, and I have no idea. Anyway, go ahead. Aleph. Aleph. Oxhead. Strong power fear. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are they who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways be steadfast in obeying your decree. Then I would not be ashamed when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I obey your decrees, but not utterly forsake. Do not utterly forsake me. Isn't there some comment about it not being not be it's not loud enough when people speak here you really got to raise your voice okay, but I speak. I yeah I, I i i assume that they can hear you but anybody else if you if you ask a question or something you want to raise your voice up nice and loud so they can hear we can just oh whatever as long as people raise their voice um this first verse talking about the, the john the baptist mommy hey <laughs> what's that the way is blameless. Oh yes. You know, it says they were blameless. Blameless before the Lord. Before the Lord. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I had a prayer request, and it's not here, so we'll, we're going to have to go over that. But we'll read the uh, Chicago Statement of Faith. We're on Article 19. We affirm that a confession of the full authority, infallibility, and inerrancy of Scripture is vital. To a sound understanding of the whole of the Christian faith. Boy, do I agree with that. We further affirm that such confession should lead to increasing conformity to the image of Christ. Let me read the first words again. We affirm that a confession of the full authority, Bible has full authority, the infallibility, it is infallible, and inerrancy. There are no errors of Scripture is vital to a sound understanding of the whole of the Christian faith. We deny that such a confession is necessary for salvation. It isn't. However, we further deny that inerrancy can be rejected without grave consequences, both to the individual and to the church. What they mean by that is you do not need to believe that the Bible is, um, has full authority. You don't need to believe that the Bible is infallible, and you don't need to believe in the inerrancy of Scripture to be saved. That is true. Most people that are in the jungle have never heard of what a Bible is. We take it for granted because we have the Bible in our lives and we, we spend our whole life reading the Bible and we get into every little nuance and we call people heretics over things which aren't a heresy. But we uh, uh, there are people in the world that are told the simple message of Jesus. There's God stepped out of the infinite realm. He united with human flesh. He lived the perfect life. He died for your sins and he was resurrected to prove it. That is the gospel. It doesn't say anything about the Bible. They don't know that there's a Genesis. They don't know that there's a revelation. All they know is the message of Jesus. Okay? So, they are saying that. Okay? That you don't need to believe any of those in order to be saved. It's like you don't need to believe in evolution or creation in order to be saved. If somebody didn't explain to you that there's that God created in six days, you have no idea. You've never thought of the issue one way or another. But, once you tell somebody that you were evolved from slime, you are now going to deprive them of salvation. And the reason why is because they now have a preconceived notion about being evolved into what the Bible proclaims as original sin. And you don't need a savior if there is no such thing as original sin. So the simple gospel without any baggage on it will save anybody. What they're talking about is the fact that 
read it again. We deny that such a confession is necessary for salvation. It's not. When people, you see it, I'll talk about it, one issue on the Prophecy Update this Sunday where somebody says something is a heresy, okay? It isn't, okay? A heresy is something that will keep somebody from being saved. Everything else is just bad doctrine, okay? That's important to remember, and I'll ask that during the Prophecy Update, and I hope somebody will remember what I just said so they can repeat it and make it look like the smartest congregation mm. in the world. But, um, uh, however, we further deny that inerrancy, meaning that the Bible has no errors, can be rejected without grave consequences. Well, that's true. Once you start getting into theology and you start saying, well, this is the word of God, and you say it's full of errors, that leads to grave consequences. And so they're saying that, yes, you can be saved apart from the uh, the inerrancy of scripture, but no, you do not want people to believe in the slightest error in scripture because one, there isn't, and two, then it shows a fallible God. So when you give the gospel, I said it a million times, keep it simple, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. Hey, that's the end of the uh, statement of faith. What? Keep it, keep it super simple. Yeah, leave off the stupid, keep it super simple. Okay, um, we're done with the Chicago statement of faith, but that, I have to tell you, that, that was a very well done statement of faith. It, uh, everything they said is something I can agree to wholeheartedly and it is marvelous in how they organized and structured it from beginning to end. So, uh, Chicago Statement of Faith. One other thing which I will say now, and then I will say it again on Saturday for people that don't watch on the Prophecy Update, I'll say it during the Prophecy Update, is that somebody, uh, a friend of mine, Tom, who's always very nice to me, I've never met him, but he's out in Arizona, he sent, sends me Bibles and stuff to hand out to people, and he sent me this, and he says, I hope you enjoyed this. And this is the NIV Live. I'm showing you this now so that if you want to get it, you know you don't have to email me because I just mentioned, I says, I'll, I'll mention this again next sat, sat, uh, Sunday on the Prophecy Update. I got tons of emails asking about this. I actually took a photo of this and said, here's the photo, that, you know, whatever. But it is, it's a CD set. You can see how thick it is. Oh, it's yeah, it's a CD set. It's like a book and it's got one, two, three, four, you know, four CDs on each page and there's probably 25 pages in there. There's a lot of CDs. It is very, very, very well done. It has um, actors that say every word. In other words, Rachel is different than Leah. They speak the words, and then there's a narrative that says, and then she said, and then she says what she said. It is the word of God exactly and specifically. It's got music in the background. And then when Abraham weighs out, or uh, Abimelech weighs out money to Abraham, thousand, you hear the coins dropping into his hand. When somebody has a baby, she's going, oh! Yeah, yes, it is just like a uh, whatever you call it. So um, I recommend this. It's very good. I'm up to Genesis chapter 39. I'm enjoying it completely. It is the NIV. If you're a one Bible only person, then you're not going to like it. I don't care. I, it, it's, it's the word of God. It's very well done. I've thought of a million things I never thought of before really? in the sermons because you're processing differently by hearing it. So um, I don't know what it costs. I, I, I do not want to look because when I know what it costs, then I know what he paid for it. I don't want to do that. So check it out for yourself. Somebody asked me, do you have it in the app version? I don't know. I'm sure if you go online and you can get it in an app or a downloadable version or MP3, I don't know. But this is CDs here. So there you go. NIV Live, a Bible experience. I'll mention that again Saturday. Did there you have are some? free downloads Sunday. of dramatized Sunday, thank scripture you. in um, King James and ESV, the whole Bible. I didn't know that. Okay, so you free. can get free downloads of something similar in the King James Version in the ESV, she said. So if you can do that, go online and download it, or you can buy this. And one way or another, it is really outstanding, and it's enjoyable. So I've had, you know, audio Bibles I've listened to, and they're good. 
you, you get to listen, you drive, you know, you're thinking about the Bible, but this, this really brings it to life. It's like having a theater of the mind. So here we go. We're going to get into Romans chapter 14, verse 3. But start in verse 1, just so that we, uh, Where are we? 14, verse 3, but we're going to, he's going to start from verse 1, just so that we can uh, kind of oh, refresh. The, uh, paragraph where the uh, chapter here starts to be the weak and the strong. Yes. Okay, except him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith allows him to eat everything, but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Now for three. The man who eats everything must look must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does. Everything must not condemn the man who does. For God has accepted him. Okay, I will say that, yeah, that's very poorly worded in that Bible. I'm going to read it from the New King James Version. It's much simpler. It says, um, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. In other words, this person doesn't eat meat. Don't let the person that does eat meat despise him. I don't know any meat eater that despises people that don't eat meat or that doesn't eat meat. I don't know any. Reciprocal is not true. Okay. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats. For God has received him. See, it's very simple in the New King yes, James Version. Yes, but I will say that vegans in particular, and even vegans. just vegans, I don't care, um, and just people in general that don't eat meat are usually belligerent to people that do. They have bumper stickers which accuse you of being murderer and all that kind of stuff. So um, it really doesn't fit in with the society that we live in. But he's speaking specifically about Christians. So, But even Christians, I'm going to tell you what, you get the Christians that uh, are in these subsects of Christianity that they don't eat pork or whatever, they're trying to please God through the law, they are as abusive as non-Christians. I get it all the time. I, all the time, yes. So here we go. Uh, this is plain and clear, what he just said and I read. His version, not so much, but this is plain and clear. <laughs> People eat meat because God has ordained that meat is to be eaten. Remember that last week, Genesis chapter 9. Everything is given in your hand. Everything. It doesn't matter what it is. It can be flipper in the uh, ocean. It can be, uh, uh, you know, uh, something that flies in the air. The Chinese have a saying, and they got it from the Bible. They say if it swims in the ocean... If it moves on the land or if it flies in the sky, we will eat it, okay? And that's right out of Genesis. Uh, okay, now that doesn't mean that if it's poisonous, you should be eating it, okay? Japanese eat fugo, the, uh, the blowfish, and how many of them die every year because it's not cut properly? It has to be, yeah, you have to have like a, uh, a certificate, almost like a doctoral degree in order to be able to, to feed this to people. And it's a delicacy, but if, you, if it's not cut right, you will die. So anyway, um, uh, they have every right. Oh, I'm sorry. Those who don't eat meat need not to be hostile to those who do. Okay. They have every right and every freedom to do so. And therefore, because God has allowed it, there should be no argument against it by those who refrain. Notice how I started with the people that are on the negative because they are almost always angry at people that eat meat. How dare you eat that animal? You know, God gave it life. Well, he also gave it to me for dinner right? A little bit of sauce and some potatoes and he's going down. But that's just, that's what the Bible is ordained. Likewise, there are those who abstain from eating meat. They may have a tender spot for animals. They may have an inability to eat meat because of their physical makeup. Remember the tick I talked about in the prophecy update that if you get bitten by it, you get a meat allergy. I don't ever want to be bitten by that particular tick. That's for sure. 
okay? They may have a guilt complex that is deep-seated and which interferes with their ability to enjoy it. I went through that for five years. I said that last week. I watched something on the Discovery Channel about meat processing, and I just couldn't eat meat. I couldn't do it. Poor Hidako cooked two meals a day every day for five years. And then I went to Israel in 2003, smelled the lamb, and have, that's all I eat now is animals. I was cured. Oh, it was wonderful. Uh, and the reason why is because when I was young, we'd walk down to grandma's house once a week and we'd be down there and every week she'd serve us lamb and my favorite meal in the world. Oh, just the smell of it. Oh, reminds me of grandma's house. Um, for these and any other reasons, they need to not be judged by him who eats. Welcome back, stranger. She did email and say that they were doing stuff. So she's off the hook. Anyway, but I did tell her that she missed all of mango season, so there you go. Maybe not. I think you were there at the beginning of it, but anyway. Um, so uh, in either situation, if God has received that individual, how can we despise them? That's Paul's point at the end of it, for God has accepted them. If God has accepted them, how can we speak against them in whatever they want to do? If they don't want to eat meat like I didn't for five years, leave me alone. And if you want to eat meat, and which I'm going to be doing probably tonight after here, I, I definitely, Hidako never gives us a meal without meat. But um, uh, however, this is something that some of you know, if she serves bread with the meal, I'll skip everything. I don't care if she makes 20 different courses and sets them out like, you know, you she does. I'll, 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 I'll eat the bread. She's got to give me a limited amount of bread. or I, I love bread. All bread. So she makes homemade bread? No, she just any bread, whatever, whatever bread. I just love bread. And so if she gives me too much of it, I just eat that and not anything else. So she's got to be careful what she puts in front of me. But um, I, I just am a breadhead. Anyway, um, yeah, okay. So in either situation, if God has received the individual, how can we despise them? This thought goes right back to verse 10 of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, okay? Oh, I'm sorry. Um, uh, verse 10 of chapter 13 of Romans. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. If God has received a person, then for us to be unloving towards them is showing a disdain for the person whom God has already accepted. John would go so far as to say what he says in 1 John chapter 4. Let me take you there. 1 John chapter 4. Oops. Yeah, 1 John chapter 4, and I think I want verse 20. And what does he say there? He says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he does not, he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? So it's kind of the same principle right there is that what he's talking about. God has accepted this person. Don't hate him over it because that's showing contempt for God. Don't do it. All right. The very notion of loving God, but then despising a person God loves is contrary to sound reason. We need to evaluate our relationships based on this higher perspective and be willing to accept the perceived shortcomings of another based on his view of that person, okay? And I would say perceived shortcomings because people that don't eat meat for religious reasons in particular, I'm talking about Christians, don't understand the Bible properly. They have been misinstructed in theology about this issue and they're going down a path. Now, there are people that are actually in cults that you know, Seventh-day Adventists will, uh, you know, you shouldn't be eating meat. And uh, the Hebrew Roots Movement, you can't eat pork because it's against the law. Okay, well, the law is, as we've said a million times, it's obsolete. obsolete. It's annulled. It's 
over. It's nailed to the cross. And so those people are doing something contrary to scripture itself. That's a little different issue. Okay. I'm talking about a person that's in a church and just doesn't understand the Bible that says, you know, you can eat anything and be, I, I'm not talking about people that have had it trained into them that you need to fulfill the law of Moses in order to be pleasing to God and to be saved. That's a completely different issue. Okay. And once again, they may be saved, but they're in a church now, which is putting them back under bondage. And that's what Paul says. Why would you go back under bondage? But if you start in that church, okay, you may never be saved because you're told something which is another gospel. So get your boxes right. Here's a box. I hear about Jesus, okay? The message of save, salvation in Jesus. He died for my sins. He was raised for my justification, et cetera, et cetera. I hear that message, right? And I believe it. What does the Bible say? I am, I'm saved. Now I go to a bad church, even a heretical church, and they teach bad theology for the rest of my life. Am I unsaved because of that? Absolutely not. I am back under bondage. I'm not living happily in God's presence. I'll be judged on my rewards for misunderstanding the Bible and not pursuing the true knowledge of I will not lose my salvation. And this is one thing that people really, really mishandle in their life. I always give the example. I had a guy send me the angriest email, and he, he was just belligerent with me over this particular issue. It went on for weeks. Is yeah. that it, it just people, they just want to argue things. But yes. I, I, I uh, said, you know, here's an example so everybody can understand this. I go to Papua New Guinea. Ray and Jess, they're going to Papua New Guinea, right? They go to Papua New Guinea and they instruct people in the saving message, which is what we're talking about right here, okay? The saving message of Jesus, okay? And then they get called back to America after three weeks. They've saved 25 people in a little village, right? They all are saved. They heard the gospel. They believed it. That is what the, the Bible says. When you receive it, you are saved, okay? They come back to America. Something happens and they have to move back here. Somebody else moves in from the Church of Latter-day Saints, and they set up a Mormon shop there. And the rest of their life, they are taught bad doctrine. Are any of those 25 people going to be unsaved? Absolutely not. That is against the nature of God. He has sealed that person with the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. Deal done. Okay? It is done. However, their children that are now going to hear the Mormon message, guess what? They're never going to be saved. So that is the difference. And that's what exactly what the Chicago Statement of Faith was trying to say. You don't need to have these doctrinal issues in order to be saved, but there are grave consequences for bad doctrine after that or heretical doctrine after that. You aren't going to lose your salvation, but the next guy will. That is what a heresy is. Okay, so people need to understand that. Please don't email me if you disagree with that. I, I don't need to hear it. When you are saved, you are saved for four, not five, forever, okay? I'll take it to you, take you there again because we need to do this about once a month to make sure that people understand this is Ephesians chapter one, all right? And just think of it logically. Don't get into any of the other verses that you take out of context about the loss of salvation, okay? Because there are a million of them that people will do that. Let's just take it logically with what says salvation is eternal. Ephesians 1, 13, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, okay? You trust in Jesus. Forget all of that doctrinal stuff that they mentioned in the Chicago Statement of Faith. Okay? They heard the message and they trusted. Doesn't matter how much they heard of it, they heard the message of salvation. Okay? Um, the gospel of your salvation. You heard it. In whom also, having believed, so the person heard that message and they believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. 
One, it's a, a seal of promise, and two, it's the Holy Spirit, and it is a sealing. A sealing is a, as it says in verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. He is a guarantee. When you are sealed with the Holy Spirit, there's a couple things that would uh, come into play here. First, if God said that person believed and he received, and then he takes that back, then it wasn't a good guarantee at all, right? Everybody got that? He says it's a guarantee, and he takes it back, then it wasn't a good guarantee. But more importantly, it can't be the God of the Bible. Why? God does not make mistakes. He does not change. And so if he seals you with the Holy Spirit and then says, oops, I made a mistake, it ain't the God of the Bible. You are sealed. It is done. Salvation by default must be eternal or you're dealing with the wrong God. All of the verses in the Bible that speak of a loss of salvation are taken out of context or they are misunderstood. And some of them are very, very difficult to handle. Some of them are very difficult to handle. I won't deny that. But if you just simply take the doctrine of salvation, I'm not talking about loss of salvation, the doctrine of salvation, logically, you have to be dealing with eternal salvation if you're dealing with the God of the Bible. He does not change. He does not make mistakes. So if you believed and you received the seal, it is done. Okay, so we can go on from there now that we know that. Um, let, and Second uh, Corinthians one twenty-two onto that too. Second Corinthians one twenty-two. Yeah. Go ahead. Who also sealed us? Sealed us. Same gave word. A, gave us the spirit in our heart as a pledge. As a pledge, a guarantee. That's the word erevon. And yeah. where is that used in the Old Second Testament? Second Corinthians. Where in the Old Testament? That same word, erevon, is used in the Old Testament. It's used three times. It's used three times in the New Testament. In Hebrew, it's used three times, and it's in Genesis 38, which we were talking about earlier. Yeah. The, the pledge, the seal that he gave her, give me a pledge, but, you know, until you, uh, that, it, you go to Genesis 38, if you're confused about eternal salvation, watch the sermon that we did at the Superior Word on Genesis 38, and you will understand what that word Erevon means. It's applied three times in that chapter and nowhere else in the Old Testament, and the exact same word was carried over into the Greek. It wasn't a, a different word translated. It is the same word, Erevon. It's used in the Greek three times by Paul. It's the sealing of the Spirit each of those times. Salvation is eternal. You don't need to go any deeper than that, but one more that you can do, add on to it, would be um, 2 Corinthians 5.19, where God is not counting our sins against us. Well, if he's not counting our sins against us because we're saved, then you can't be unsaved because he's not counting your sins against us and the wages of sin is death. Well, you're not going to die. You are saved. It is done. It is eternal life. Anyway, and when Jesus says eternal life, it doesn't mean eternal possible life. He says eternal life. Okay? So salvation is eternal. If you struggle with that, don't worry. Everybody does to some point. I do when I do something really stupid and I say, Lord, how can you love me? How can you keep saving me? But I believe you do. Deal done. But you struggle with it. I understand that. Okay. Um, but again, as is noted in the previous verse, if someone is a contrarian and is violating a set scripture through their dietary restrictions by reinserting the law, which has been set aside in Christ, then they are to be dismissed outright. That's what I was talking about earlier. Such legalism can only cause a wall between others and Christ. That's a Hebrew roots movement, the Judaizers, which Paul writes about in Galatians chapter uh, 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5, and 6. That's what he writes about in the entire book of Galatians is the Judaizers coming in and saying you have to do this and this in order to be saved. And they're shipwrecking people's faith. 
He mentions that all through his writings. But the Judaizers of today are the Hebrew Roots Movement people. Don't get caught into that type of the theology because if you are saved, you're just going to have a miserable salvation. You're going to be spending the rest of your salvation trying to please God when he's already done all the work for you. And if you aren't saved, you aren't going to get saved in that type of theology because I have to do something. When it says it's by grace through faith and that, not of yourselves, thank you. It is the gift of God, lest any man should boast. We don't do anything in order to be saved. And if we have to keep doing something after we're saved, then it was never by grace through faith in the first place. So that cannot be accepted to have somebody tell you, you need to do this. So cut them off. Other people that know that they're saved, but they just don't want to eat meat and all that, that's fine. Accept them. Let them accept you. Don't argue with it over them. Yes. Say that louder because I yeah, can't hear you. You have to believe. You have this to believe. This is the work that you believe. That's you right. This is the work of God that you believe in the Son. What's that? John six twenty nine or, or yeah, 529. 529. Thank you. Okay. In the end, doctrine does matter. Without proper adherence to the precepts laid out before us, then anything goes. And this is not how God works in any dispensation. It doesn't matter what dispensation. Everything is clearly defined. God doesn't change. He doesn't make errors. He is progressively revealing his plan of salvation, but he doesn't change in the process. We are freed from the law, but our freedom is not licensed to sin. There is and there must be maintained a proper balance in our lives and in our doctrine. A little life application and we'll go on. Don't lord your freedom to eat over another to their harm. Rather know that God has accepted them and so love them as brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? And uh, it, that's just something that we're required to do. It says, love your neighbor, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't say you have to like your neighbor. And there's a difference between that. You don't have to like somebody in order to love them. It's a volitional act of, act of the will to say, I am loving this person as a fellow believer. I don't want to be around them and I don't like them, but I, I will love them when I'm around them. Okay. There, there is a difference. Uh, and it's not trying to be cute. It's just the way it is. There are some people you just don't want to be around. I understand that. But when you are around them, be around them in love. Okay, verse 14, 4. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. He will stand, the Lord is able to make him stand. Very good. It's almost identical to this one there. Who are you to judge another's servant? Man, I tell you what, that is the most common thing in the world today. And I'm talking about Christians on other Christians. The judge finger is all over social media. It's all over churches. It's all over. It's just insane. The one thing I think it all the time, it just goes through my mind like a like a a wave, is that everybody is a specialist in theology. Almost nobody knows the Bible very well. I I, I mean, you ask them three basic questions about some other issue, and they won't be able to even tell you where they're at right? I don't know what you're talking about. Everybody is a specialist in the Bible, and almost nobody spends time in the Bible. And I'm not talking about people with the superior word. I'm talking about people in general. People in general do not read their Bible. They don't study their Bible. Whatever they heard from a pastor when they were 14 years old, they are still saying that even if it was completely wrong, okay? People do not know the Word of God, and yet they are all specialists. That's all you get all day. That's why I never, I just don't anymore. I don't, one, I don't have time, but two, it's just frustrating to read the comments on YouTube after uh, you do a sermon or oh, something. Really? Everybody's a specialist. Everybody, you shouldn't have said that. Well, really? Yeah, I've never picked 
I just don't read them because it infuriates me and then I'm going to say something I shouldn't say. And so I just don't read them. And I don't mean to not read people's comments, but it's very, very difficult to have people second guess every single thing you say, especially when they're wrong. It, 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 it takes you nowhere. And then you get into what I say again and again, scripture tennis. You go back and you say, well, this is this is the correct answer to that issue. And then they come back with something completely irrelevant, some red herring. There's no point in it. There's no authoritative authoritative ignorance and it's all over the world today and you know the problem is this is the problem is that we are in a world where we have the internet is full of theology the uh everything you read you go into church and there's four thousand bibles and there's just theology everywhere it doesn't mean that people know what they're talking about it's just everywhere and so they read something and all of a sudden they're a specialist on an issue which is so intricately woven into the Bible that if you don't know the entire structure of the Bible, that particular doctrine is actually making no sense in what you're saying. So don't be a specialist. Don't be, as Paul says, wise in your own eyes. Listen, learn, don't argue with people. You could be wrong, and then you're the one that's gonna make yourself look foolish, okay? Just say your piece and then go on. If you're wrong, you're wrong, whatever, but there's no point in arguing it. It's not gonna do anybody any good. But uh, go ahead. Here. Yes. You keep talking about the Judaizer movement. The Hebrew Roots okay. movement, which is the Judaizers. Okay. The Hebrew Roots movement. How big is that? I it's know. giant. And you see, the problem with Hebrew Roots isn't that it's a, a uh, denomination. That's not what it is. Hebrew Roots movement is you could be in Calvary Chapel and in, in, uh, pick a Calvary Chapel somewhere in North Carolina, okay. right? Or you could be in uh, Australia in a Presbyterian church. You could be anywhere, and there are people that have come to the conclusion that they have to reinsert the law of Moses, no pork, or you have to worship on a Saturday, or on and on and on. Hebrew Roots is a movement. It's not a denomination, per se. It's just a group of people that think that everything Jewish is the answer to theology, which is exactly what Paul reveals. They're everywhere. There are churches where people used to attend that they've emailed me. And they said, my, my, my pastor, he's just in a denomination, whatever. My pastor's gotten into the Hebrew roots. He says that we have to observe the feasts of the Lord, right? That's what I'm talking about. It is a movement. They read a book because they, just because somebody's a pastor doesn't mean that he's trained in theology. Right. I got to tell you, seminaries don't yeah, really teach true. it well. Yeah. So they, they read a book and they say, well, you're supposed to be observing the feasts of the Lord. They read it because it's written by a Jewish guy that seems like he knows what he's talking about. Next thing you know, that church is now observing the feasts of the Lord because they say, we have to do this. And this happens all the time. But this is what Paul warned about. Read yeah, the, the We'll be in Galatians soon. What? That's, that's exactly what they are. It's just, it's a new name because the Judaizers were the Hebrew people of that day. And then for 2,000 years, we didn't have this nonsense. But now we've got Israel back in the land. Everybody's saying, oh, these, these people speak Hebrew. They're specialists. That's what's going on, is all of a sudden they're going back to what happened. That's why it's called Hebrew roots, is it takes it back to the people that were her heretical in the first place. It's not a denomination. It's just, there are books all over it. Just type in Hebrew roots, um, you know, right. books or whatever. You'll get a thousand of them. It, it's very poisonous doctrine because it's what from the very beginning has been taught. Don't get into this stuff. Jesus has freed us from all of these things, right. and they keep reinserting it. That's like that Arian heresy. Anybody know what that is today? What is it? Arian, Arius? Today it's a Jehovah's Witnesses. It's just a reinventation. Re, uh, what's the word? Uh, um, reinvented. reinvented. Yes, reinvented from something back in the two, three hundred yeah. A.D. Yeah. 
It, that which has been will be again. That which has been done will be done again. There's nothing new under the sun, Solomon says. People take old heresies and they just butter them up and they reinsert them again. You got to stick with what is sound theology. And the only way you're going to do that is through this. Not reading books. Not, read this. Listen to this. Study this. All day, every day. This is all that matters. All of that other stuff. You read my commentaries. Take every one of them with a grain of salt. This is where you get your theology. Everything else, you just absorb, read it, and then process it according to this. But if you don't know this, you don't know that what you're reading is right or wrong. That's why you have to have this. That's why I say this. I'm trying to make it easy on people. Right here. I drive less than any person I know on this planet, and I'm already up. Thank you. I'm already up to Genesis 39 today. I haven't driven. I drive from my house to the mall, which is 1.6 miles, and I drive home. Other than that, I drove down to the missionary work on Saturday. That's 10 miles. That's all the driving I've done this week. And yet I'm up to Genesis 39 right now. We'll be done with the Bible in no time. Read your Bible. Listen to your Bible. That is what's important. Okay, but we're having a Bible study. And so, yes, listen, process. But make sure that when you process, is this what he is saying in accord with the word? That's what you want to do. So here we are. Um, we read chapter uh, verse 4 already. Yes. We're, we got to get into the Bible. You were, yes. you were right. It was 629. Oh, 629. Thank you. Okay, so I was right. See? Okay. okay. Um, and, we, we need to be Berean Christians, Acts 17. Yes, check out, check out what is said. You said don't pay attention. Or no, no, well, I'm saying go back to the Bible. Yeah. I've said that at least four times. Okay. Here it is, John 6, 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. That is it. That is what we do. Believe in him whom he sent. That is the work of God. From there, everything else falls into its proper place. Okay, comments on verse 14, 4. As can be seen in this verse, Paul doesn't take side on the issue of those weak in the faith, as he says, they're weak in the faith, and those who are well-grounded in matters of doubtful things. Instead, he acknowledges that both have received exactly the same salvation by noting that they are another's servant. Are they servant to me? No, they're servants of Christ. So why would I argue with them over something? They're, they're, there's a doubtful issue. He's Christ's servant. I'll instruct him in proper theology, but after that, I'm not going to argue with him and condemn him over it. I've told you what the Bible says. Study it for yourself. If you don't listen, that's fine. Maybe I'm the one that's wrong. Check with the Bible, okay? In other words, if they are Christ, servants of Christ, then they are saved. Their weakness or soundness in doctrine is not an issue which will change that. It's not, that's the example I gave of the will it's going to Papua New Guinea and then the Mormons coming in. It is not going to change that issue. Their weakness or soundness in doctrine is not an issue which will change their salvation. It's not going to do it. Because this is so, who are you to so judge them? You are to judge the doctrine that they are receiving. If it's bad doctrine, you're to instruct them on that, okay? But you're not to judge their salvation. If they're saved, they're saved. If you ask somebody, have you accepted you? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead? Yes. Okay. Have you asked him to forgive you of your sins? Yes. Have you called on the name of the Lord, in other words, from Romans 10, 9 and 10? Yes. Deal done. Don't argue that anymore. They. It is time now for them to get proper doctrine, but the deal is done. Okay. Um, if Christ has accepted someone through the exercise of their faith and they never grow in doctrine, which is a lot of churches in the world, but remain weak concerning these disputable matters, 
that is between God and them. We have no right to judge their walk. Instead, to his own master he stands or falls, as Paul says. It is true that we should grow in the knowledge of the Lord. That's why we have the, the Bible. That's why Paul wrote all these letters. Is for doctrine. Is for instruction. Is for training in righteousness so that the man of God will be prepared. And, you know, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. Um, so uh, we should mature in the faith. We should endeavor to walk in soundness of doctrine. It is also true that someone who lacks these things is a weak and ineffective member of the body. But... He is still a member of the body, right? There are friends that I went to high school with and they were saved in high school. Then they've always gone to Christian meetings. They've always gone to Christian churches and yet they have about this much theology in their life. Literally that much. I can talk to them about something they have no idea what I'm talking to them about. And yet they were saved long before I was and they will be judged for their pursuance of the Lord and his word in their own way. Right? That's just the Lord is going to give his rewards and he's going to give his losses to people based on how they pursued him. Right? But they're saved. They were saved long ago and they have walked with the Lord in just a minor walk. That, and you know, some of them, one girl I know, I won't give her name, good friend of mine, she is not a theologian by any stretch of the imagination. She never has read the Old Testament. She doesn't want to hear the Old Testament and probably the new of it. She's never read that as well. But she prays for people like nobody I've ever seen. She writes down every name. She puts the day she wrote it down. Then when that prayer is answered, she says this person is out of the hospital on this day. I never do that. So, you know, she's got her own little thing, right? So there you go. Um, uh, and not only has he been accepted because he's a member of the body, but he will be made, as Paul says, to stand. What Paul is saying by using the term stand is that they will not lose their salvation over their lack of knowledge or growth. Go back and read 2 Peter 1 verses 1 through 9 and you'll see that, okay? They're not going to lose their salvation over that. Um, and they will instead continue on in his grace until the end. And the reason should be obvious. Already said this once, God does not make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes, okay? If someone believes and is sealed with the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, and then they have been adopted as a child of God. They will never fall again because God is able, as Paul says, God is able to make them stand. It would be unthinkable that God would receive someone and then turn around and unsave them. It is contrary to his transcendent knowledge, his omnipotent power, and his great love for the objects of his affection. Those who preach that one can lose their salvation are exactly who Paul is speaking directly to in this verse. When a, they point a bony finger at another in condemnation, Paul points right back on behalf of the Lord whom he represents and says, who are you to judge another's servant? Implying that that person is the servant of the Lord. Okay. It should be noted again, though, that the term servant is applied here. There are those who are in Christ and beyond such judgment and there are those who are not in Christ. We must use doctrine and the reason to and reason to defend against heretics who would impose that type of teaching which goes beyond or blemishes scripture. While accepting our brothers who are weaker in the faith, we must be ready and able to stand to oppose heresy, to oppose confusion and to oppose disorder. Okay? That's just something that we're called to do. So if we're in a Bible study and we're learning something and we say, I know that this is correct. I know that this is what Paul teaches. And somebody comes and says, this isn't correct. And you're in a meeting with three other people. And those 
three other people are going to be harmed by that person's doctrine. You need to stand against them. That's just what you're called to do. All right. I try to make those type of thoughts very simple, and I put them on uh, daily prayer on Facebook. Or if you read the daily devotional that I type, you know it's at the end of every one of them. I try to take something that's like that, and I'll say, you know, we have our job. Okay, we may not be a theologian, but we must stand on the basics. I think I said that yesterday or the day before. We know that Jesus Christ died for our sins. We know that he was resurrected for our sins. And we know that that is the only way to be reconciled to God because Jesus said that. If we don't know anything else, we can stand on that. And we can tell people that is incorrect. All paths do not lead to God. And we need to be firm in that. If not, then we're not showing respect to Christ who died for us and who has told us to defend him. Okay, I, 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 especially in this world where people, everybody thinks that all paths lead to God and that you're being unloving to tell somebody that's in Islam that, you know, you're not going to heaven. Which one is unloving? Right. Holding that in or telling them the truth? Which one is unloving? I'd rather be unloving and hurt their feelings in that way than be unloving towards them and see them cast into hell because they didn't receive Jesus Christ. Think about it. Just think it. Who cares about political correctness? Who cares? People need to understand the simple message of Jesus. Okay. Um, life application. When God's grace is extended to an individual, we are to accept that individual regardless of how they later develop. Not everyone will become a Billy Graham evangelist. Not everyone will be a Hebrew scholar. Not everyone is going to be a teacher. And so on. To each God has appointed a measure of faith and a measure of knowledge. Let us accept our brothers and sisters in Christ because God has already accepted them. Right? Simple. Okay. Verse 14, 5. five. One man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Romans 14, 5 is one of those verses that you should remember. If you don't remember it exactly, at least remember its contents and remember where it is, okay? Before I give my comments, what is he speaking about there? Uh, Saturday or Sunday. Saturday, Sunday, Monday or Tuesday. Mm -hmm. Or no day. Right. That is what he's speaking about. Everybody's got that. I don't have to read the commentary. Let's go home. Um, okay. This is a really, really important verse because this goes to exactly Seventh-day Adventism. It goes exactly to, um, uh, you know, Sabbath. What is a Sabbath, right? Because people say you have to have a Sunday Sabbath. I had somebody ask me about that. A guy I worked for in one of my part-time jobs. He oh, really? came up and he wants to talk to me about, about something. He hasn't done it yet. And then I said, well, you know, never on Sunday or Monday. I, I, I can't. I said, any other day of the week, even though I work every day. I, he said, what? He said, what about your Sabbath? Well, this is a guy that goes to church on Sunday. So he's already, yeah, he's confused. That's, you know, what is the Sabbath? Anyway, here we go. Paul turns now from food to days. Food, right? No. Now he's going to days. He's using the exact same concept. He's speaking about the same thing, which is what he speaks about elsewhere, like in Galatians, food and days. Okay. He has demonstrated that what we eat is of far less importance than many claim. And that those who take the stricter path on dietary matters are actually the weaker of the faith, not the stronger, right? You're saying, I'm not going to eat vegetables. He's saying that person is weak in his faith. Go back and read the verse, right? He's weak in his faith because he won't eat everything. And yet the world has got it completely upside down now. We're turning everything upside down. The weaker is the person that doesn't understand his freedom in Christ. The stronger person is the person that understands his freedom in Christ. And he's going to use that same 
bar, not for food now, but for days of the week. Who is the one that's strong in their faith? That's what he's going to answer, okay? Uh, now concerning certain days, he begins with, one person esteems one day above another. What does that mean? Without me giving you my comment, what does that mean? One person esteems one day above another. There's a day of... A day of honoring the Lord. He's speaking about their relationship with the Lord, okay? Sunday. Some people say, I have to go to church on Sunday. He says, one person esteems one day above another. And then somebody that's confused, we're, we're going to assume he's saved, but he's confused about this issue. I have to go to church on Saturday. He esteems Saturday above another day, right? I went to a church in the middle of the state for a conference one time, and they said that we have a Monday service, and we found that it's very helpful to some people. And then he gave the reason. I was like, I never would have thought of that, okay? But they have a Monday service as well. They esteem Monday as the day of worship for them, okay? That's what Paul says. One person esteems, here's another one, Bible class. Some people say you have to be in Bible class on Wednesday night. Well, we had a Bible class here because some people are in Bible class on Wednesday night, right? And so I said, we'll do it on Thursday and maybe people from other churches will come. And he keeps showing up. He's been here now, uh, how many years? Right? But that's, that's why we have a Thursday night Bible class here. But some people think that they have to go to Bible class on Wednesday night or they're not honoring God. Yeah, I, yes, listen, I heard, I won't say who he is, but his initials are Jack Van Ampey. Okay, he said, I don't understand why people can't go to church on Sunday in the morning and Sunday afternoon and do Bible class on Wednesday night. He says, that's what you're supposed to do. And I thought, this is a guy that's almost memorized the Bible, and he's saying that? He, the guy knows almost every verse in the Bible, and he's saying that? Okay, he's a great guy. I'm not picking on him. I'm just saying he said it, okay? I'm, clouded his. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's, he's got something clouded in his, yes. in his brain. But I, I love Jack Man MP. He's got this cute little smile. And his wife, Rexella, you know, whenever they pan to her, she's sitting there looking at him while he's talking. That's all you ever see is the side of her face. Uh, anyway, okay. Um, so he's just fun to watch. He knows the Bible and he gets real excited. And Okay, so anyway, but when he said that, I thought, what are you talking about? That's not what Paul says here. Here, we got um, now concerning certain days, he begins with one person esteems and uh, one day above another. What is he talking about? The answer is so clear that we may actually miss what is intended. He's speaking of observing a particular day for a particular purpose, such as one, a Sabbath day, two, a day of worship, or three, a special holiday or feast day. They're esteeming a day above another. Some people coming out of Judaism or who have been influenced by a Jewish concept of Sabbath esteem that day above the other days of the week. It should be noted that the Sabbath, as I asked you, or I said to you, a Sabbath is a Saturday. It is not, a, there's no such thing as a Sunday Sabbath or a Monday Sabbath or a two. It is a Saturday. The Sabbath is Saturday. That comes from the Jewish uh, teaching, which goes back to uh, Exodus chapter 16. It says in Genesis, and you don't want to make this mistake, God consecrated the seventh day and, you know, as a day of rest. Listen, they never observed that until Exodus chapter 16. If you don't believe it, go watch the sermon that I did on it. Okay. He says, tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord. Now, the King James Version says, tomorrow is the Sabbath to the Lord, right? They put it, a definite article in front of there, which is not in the Hebrew. And that has caused so much damage to people's theology. Probably the Seventh-day Adventists came up with their teaching because of that. It said, tomorrow is a Sabbath to the Lord, implying that they had never done it before. 
tomorrow's a Sabbath to the Lord, and then he goes down, go watch that sermon and you'll see it. And then all of the other Sabbath sermons, there's about seven of them in the book of Exodus, okay? And then you get into Leviticus and we go through it a couple more times. The Lord is very clearly and carefully defining what the Sabbath is and why it is bring, being brought in as a special day. And specifically, it is as a sign that the people of Israel are God's people. There's nothing to do with the rest of the world. That has nothing to do with the Christian faith. It is a sign, just as circumcision is a sign that they are God's people, okay? So the Sabbath is the issue, all right? Some people are coming out of Judaism, blah, blah, blah. Okay, yeah, Saturday is a, the Sabbath is a Saturday. It is entirely inappropriate to say that the Christian Sabbath is Sunday. There's no such thing as a Christian Sabbath. The Sabbath is the seventh day, as is outlined in the Old Testament. It was given to Israel under the law, and it is not somehow amended or transferred to mean anything other than what was ordained at that time. Now, I said it was given to Israel under the law. It actually predates that. It was given to Israel as a sign, and then it became a part of the law of Moses itself. Okay, so I don't want to say it was specifically under the law, but it is in the law of Moses because the five books of Moses are the law, okay? But it was initiated prior to the law to Israel, okay? Some Christians may esteem Sunday at known as the, what do we call it? Sunday is the Lord's Day. Thank you. Where can we find that in the Bible? Anybody? Revelation chapter 1, Paul was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Thank you, which means Sunday, all right? Some, uh, also known as Lord's day, they esteem that above the other days of the week. They honor the Lord on this day because it's the day he rose from the grave, triumphing over it. This day, though not a Sabbath, is considered a special day and may be called a day of worship. By doing this, it honors God for his great acts, which culminated in the resurrection and which look forward to the eternal state, the eighth day, if you will. Eight in the Bible always means new, new beginnings, always. Eight people on the ark going into their new beginning. Jesus Christ in Greek, Isos Christos, put it in the gematria and it comes out to eight, 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 888. Anytime you see eight in the Bible, there will always be a significance of new beginnings. It's very consistent, okay? So it's the eighth day, that'll be the day after it's the day that comes forever is the eighth day we'll, we, we will be in the seventh day but we'll always be heading to the eighth day the new day okay and of course there are those who go to church on other days maybe both wednesday and sunday thus esteeming both days as days of worship others meet on monday as i said thursday or whatever they have a, they have set aside a day esteeming it above other days there's nothing wrong with any of this. Absolutely nothing wrong with any of this. If they are living one or more days to the Lord, how can they be erring? But Paul goes on by saying, another esteems every day alike. This is where I had the conflict with the guy. Um, I was behind them all cleaning and he came up and asked, can I talk to you about something? I said, yes. And I said, well, I work every day. And I work from 4 a.m. till 6 or 7 every day. So what about your Sabbath? Well, I esteem every day the same. I am in my rest, rest Hebrews 4, verse 3. Let me read it to you really quickly. This is it. This is my marching orders. This is what I believe, and you guys do whatever you want. I'm not putting any baggage on you. I'm not telling you what you need to do, when you need to do it. It's your choice. You have freedom in Christ. My marching orders say, for we who have believed, meaning in Jesus Christ, do enter that rest. I've entered my rest. I'm in my rest. You are too. 
but maybe you need a little more rest. I don't want it. If I take a day of rest off, I'm not going to know what to do with myself because I have every day set just the way that I like it. It's wonderful. Everything just every day of the week, I do the same thing on every Monday, the same thing on every Tuesday. It's my routine and I enjoy it. If something gets out of whack, I get stressed because yes. I like what I do. Yes, he knows do. that. Oh, yeah, yeah, I do. I just, it throws me off. But I like what I do. I've entered my rest. I am in my rest. Okay. So um, some people treat every day alike without setting any particular day above the others or by exalting all seven days. They are the type who pray without ceasing. Okay. People always ask me about that verse. And I say the same thing every time. Talk to the Lord. Talk to him. I talk to them when I'm taking out the garbage, when I, when somebody, they sit in the, the, you know, I got these planters in front of the mall and there's all the, the rocks and the planters and they sit there and they drink their beer and they throw the rocks all over the parking lot. I'll go out there in the morning. There'll be 300 rocks. I got to get two five gallon buckets and I got to walk around, pick all these, put them back over there. I'm talking to the Lord when I'm doing that. I guarantee you. And it isn't very happy talking, but this is I all day long. Talk to the Lord. That's what we're praying without ceasing is if you got on your knees and you said, oh, you're never going to get anything done. Paul said it. And guess what? He traveled all over the Mediterranean. He was back in Jerusalem. He's up in Ilaricum. He's here. He's there. He was praying without ceasing. And the only way he could be doing that is if he's just simply talking to him. And you know what? If you talk to the Lord, if you draw near to him, what does the Bible say? He'll draw near to you, right? If you're not talking to the Lord, what do you expect him to do? Be right there with you? Talk to him. He's right there, right here. If God is God, then that means he is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He hears every word you say. He knows everything you do wrong when you do it. Lord, I'm sorry. I hate doing that, but I know you know I've already done it. Don't try to hide it because, man, he already knows. Talk to the Lord. That is what praying without ceasing is, okay? They rejoice always, like Paul says to do. Likewise, they in everything give thanks. Lord, I, I try to do that. I try not to be a downer. I know I am, but I try not to be. I see a flower and I say, isn't that beautiful? Lord, that is just beautiful. If you look at what he has done, if you look at what he has created, when you go out and you see the sunrise in the morning or the picture I post every day, he's, isn't that marvelous? Thank you. You know, don't just say, oh, wow, Charlie, that's a great photo today. Say, Lord, what a beautiful day. Thank him. I just took the photo. I didn't have anything to do with it, right? He made that day. He put in the flower. He got the squirrels running around the oak trees, and it's something enjoyable. And you say, thank you for that, Lord. Just That is what being in tune with God is, okay? He says, they are the type who walk in the spirit and may be less interested in externals than in internals, whatever. Seeing this so far, there arises a problem in these observances, which Paul wants to head off. Okay, far too often we get so stuck in the mud of our routine that we suddenly decide that our way is the best way. Yeah. And that's what churches do all over the world. Why weren't you on church on Sunday? And you hear that and you think, because I didn't want to be, right? That's not your decision. But that's what the, all of a sudden, the way that I'm doing it, because I'm enjoying what I'm doing, and I think everybody else should do what I'm doing, all of a sudden, my way is the best way, and everybody else. Yeah, everybody else is wrong. You are doing wrong, right? I love what I do. I would not expect anybody else to do what I do. Nobody. I get up at the same time. I do the same thing. I pet the dog here. Yeah, everything is the same in my life every day. Boring to somebody else because they wouldn't like what I'm doing. But they have their own thing, which I would probably find completely crazy, 
right? It's, well, it's true. But I'm not here to tell them that what they're doing is wrong. They want to go to church on Monday at this church. or they, That's fine. Let people be people. Let them honor the Lord in the way, as long as they're honoring the Lord. That's what I'm talking. I'm not talking about people that are outside. I'm talking about Christians. Some of us here always go to mission work on Saturday. Does everybody here go to mission work on Saturday? Have I ever said to somebody here, you should be in mission work on Saturday? Never said it to a person. We, one time we will invite somebody to come if they want to come. And after that, we never say it to them again. That is completely their choice. I have never said to somebody, you should really be out there on Saturday other than in an excited way, not in a directive way, right. Right? right? Because that's what we like to do. That is my Saturday. I would find no fulfillment in anything else. Now, there are times where I have to marry somebody and I can't go out there or whatever, but there are certain days that I can't go. But that is my Saturday. It's not everybody's Saturday. I don't, I esteem that day above other days, but I don't say this is the right way. Don't do that to people and don't let people do that to you, okay? Far too often we get so stuck in the mud of our routine that we suddenly decide our way is best. When we see someone observing a day differently than we do, we become judgmental of their choice. But this is God's world and he sets the parameters for our Christian conduct. By bringing into the discussion those who esteem every day alike, that's Paul's words, Paul has demonstrated completely and clearly that there is no set day, a Sabbath, a day of worship, a day of this or a day of that. There is no set day that is mandated within Christianity, not one. If you don't go to church on Resurrection Sunday, you are not going to be fined when you get up to heaven. He's not going to fine you, okay? I don't care what anybody says. It's not going to happen. There is no set day. Me, I want to be there because that is the day, I, you guys know, Thanksgiving and Resurrection Day. Those are my days. Those, I, The rest of them, I don't care about. I really enjoy those two days though. So, um, uh, let's see here. Paul is, yeah, um, there should be no finger pointing at those who observe differently than others. And yet we fail to see the clarity in Paul's words. And we point our bony fingers at those who observe differently than we do. I'm talking in a general sense. I'm not talking about individuals, a sad state of affairs. Endeavoring to accept what others do when done to the glory of God is good and it is honorable. Having noted that it is perfectly acceptable to the Lord, according to Paul's instruction to set aside any day is special or to esteem every day alike, it needs to be stated that mandating a Sabbath based on the requirements of the law here, I told you I was going to get to this, is specifically contrary to what has been ordained for the church. That is the Hebrew Roots Movement, that is the Judaizers of the old days, whatever you want to call them, or the Seventh-day Adventists that come and they condemn you because you're not there on Saturday. Paul has gone into great detail in the early chapters of Romans, and he will continue this in great detail throughout his epistles, noting that the law is never to be reintroduced now that it is fulfilled in Christ. Observing a Sabbath to the Lord based on the Lord's finished work in a voluntary manner is fine. Everybody got that? Because I'm always talking against the Sabbath. I'm doing it because of people that mandate it, not because people that want to. If you go to Israel and you go, say, to a Messianic Jew that goes to their Messianic synagogue, do you think that they're going to be meeting on Sunday? Absolutely not. They can meet on any day of the week that they want. And guess what day of the week they're going to be doing it? They're going to be doing it on the Sabbath. And they're not doing it because they are believed, not all of them at least, are not doing it because they believe that that's the day they have to be there. 
It's because of the day that is set aside. Sergio and Rhoda, and when I call them, where are you? Well, we're in church. Well, guess what? It's Saturday, right? It's the day that they meet. Sometimes you're in church on a Sunday. You know, that's just the way it is. But okay, if you are doing it voluntarily because you are honoring the Lord in whatever way, then that is a-okay. All right. Observing a Sabbath to the Lord based on the Lord's finished work in a voluntary manner is fine. Mandating a Sabbath based on the law. And I'm talking about people that say, well, that's one of the commandments and you need to do that. Guess what? That is another gospel. That is exactly what Paul writes against in Galatians 1, verse 6, 7, and 8, right in that area. And to be condemned. We are not to allow people to do that to you. If you hear somebody say that, say that is not in accord with scripture. Okay, if they're doing it voluntarily, leave them alone. If they're telling you that you need to do it mandatory, then you need to correct them. We are not ever to reintroduce what Christ has triumphed over. Such an attitude sets aside the grace of Christ and makes us debtors to the law, to the entire law. If you don't believe me, we'll go to Galatians in a minute. I'll show you that. Requirements that we can never meet such as a self-condemning act. In the book of Galatians, he uses circumcision as the benchmark, as the standard. Okay, let me see if I can find this here. Um, good thing, whatever man sows. Um, I know it's right here somewhere, and I'm going to find it. But the whole book of, uh, of uh, Galatians speaks about this. But he says, you who want to be circumcised, let me see if I can find this. I, again, I testify that every man who becomes, this is Galatians 5, verse 3. And I testify again that every man who becomes circumcised. Now, circumcision was a what to Israel? I already said it. Sign. A sign to Israel. The Sabbath is also a sign. sign to Israel. So you can equate one with the other. Okay, but circumcision is the way we identify as being a Jew or being right with the Lord under the, the law. If you are not circumcised, you are not right with the Lord under the law. That is the first thing, just like the Sabbath, okay? And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. Can anybody here keep the whole law? Absolutely not. Not one person, nobody other than Christ has ever kept the whole law. You are a debtor to the whole law. What he's talking about is not voluntarily being circumcised or you know like my mom and she took me and my two brothers in sarasota memorial hospital and they said do you want to be circumcised or not i'm not saying whether i am or not okay all i'm saying is that they <laughs> would have given my Thank mom you. that choice and she'd say oh yeah go ahead was she doing it because she's jewish absolutely not if you want to do it for whatever reason you want voluntarily that is fine. If you're doing it because you believe that you are meriting God's favor or making a sign, you know, of Israel, then you are erring. You are a debtor to the whole law. That's what Paul is saying. Do whatever you want voluntarily. Worship on a Saturday voluntarily. Worship on a Saturday because you feel you have to in order to merit God's favor. You are a debtor to the law. Just use whatever you want as far as that precept, pork or Sabbath or circumcision, because circumcision is what he's using as the benchmark, but it pertains to any part of law. If you say you have to observe the uh, Feast of Unleavened Bread every year, it's the same thing. You're reinserting law and you are a debtor to the whole law. We do not do that, okay? That's warned against explicitly there in Galatians and all the way through it, but especially in Galatians 5.3. TMI. Yes, yes, no TMI. I was just trying to give an example. You could see I was stuttering over my words because I thought, I don't want to say one way or another, but I want to give the example. Okay, so there you go. Um, yeah, that's uh, 
contrary to what has been ordained. Paul has gone into great detail in the early chapter chapters of Romans, and he will continue in this detail throughout all of his epistles, noting that the law is not to be introduced. It is fulfilled in Christ. Okay, life application. Concerning days, use your freedom in Christ to honor him in the way that suits you best. But don't allow your freedom to be turned into legalistic attitudes towards others who worship differently. Be at peace in their conduct, and may they be at peace with yours, hopefully. Okay? Everybody got that? Any questions on either food or a certain day of the week? It, it's very clear. I don't know how people muddy what Paul says. Well, actually, if you say what Paul says, then they just they ignore Paul completely. I mean, it's so clear what he's saying. Don't get caught into food or observant observance mandatory type of things stay away from that verse 14 6 we're just he, moving along today he who regards one day as special does so to the lord yes he who eats meat eats to the lord for he gives thanks to god and he who abstains does so to the lord and gives thanks to god okay that's a little different in this one it doesn't say anything about meat, but here's he who observes the day observes it to the lord and he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, implying me. Okay. Um, he who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. Okay. A little bit different, but same idea. Okay. Paul now ties both. Remember, we had the food and then we had the day of observance. He ties both previously discussed concepts, food and days, into one concise thought. He already noted that some are weak in the faith and therefore fail to receive all of the liberties which are found in Christ concerning the eating of food. On the other hand, there are those who understand that there is nothing which, as Jesus taught, enters a man from outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things which defile a man. That's from Jesus' mouth. That's Mark 7 verse 15. He also noted that one person esteems one day above another, and another esteems every day alike. That was the previous verse. There are those who want to observe a traditional Saturday Sabbath to the Lord. There are those who desire to have a day of worship to honor the risen Christ. There are some who may wish to esteem Thursday above all others, whatever. And then there are those who hold all days in equal esteem. Additionally, concerning the Sabbath observances and festivals, especially those once mandated under the law, Paul gives us Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17. When we were going through Leviticus, I read this every single week during the Feast of the Lord. This was our text verse for every Feast of the Lord um, sermon that we did. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. I'm going backwards, Charlie. Colossians 2, 16 and 17. I'm going to go to 15, though. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle over them, triumphing over them in it, meaning the cross. So let no one judge you in food or in drink, that's the dietary laws of Israel, or regarding a festival, meaning any of the feasts of the Lord, okay, or a new moon, which is the first uh, day of the month, every month is the new moon in Israel, they had a special festival or feast on that day, okay, or Sabbaths meaning the Sabbaths of the Lord. There are six times that Sabbaths are considered in the Old Testament. I went through all of them in the book of Leviticus. 
think one of them might have been in Exodus too, but a particular day known as a Sabbath to the Lord. Usually it's the Sabbath day, but there is a special Sabbath which is on the day of, happens once a year, Day of Atonement, okay? So that's a Sabbath of the Lord. There are other times that he uses this special term, uh, Sabbath of Sabbaths, a Shabbat Shabbaton, okay? That's what he's speaking about. Any of those Sabbaths, any of those Sabbaths, which are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance is of Christ. And as I said in one of the sermons, somebody comes in and they say, well, I'm observing the Feast of the Lord, so I'm more holy than you are. You should be doing it. You're going to hell because you don't. And he says it's a shadow. Well, guess what? If the substance is of Christ and I take Christ, then I get the shadow too, don't I? And he gets left with nothing. Because he doesn't have Christ, he doesn't even get the shadow that he thinks he's got. He's wasting his time, in other words. When you grab hold of Christ, you get everything. Because Christ makes a shadow, right? He's a real human being. You get everything. Don't be swayed by people that are trying to grab at a shadow and don't even get that. Okay, so um, Colossians 2, 16 and 17, all of these Old Testament things only pointed to Christ and his work. They are merely shadows of the reality which is found in him. If someone wants to have a Yom Kippur observance in their church, there is nothing in scripture to say, do this thing or don't do this thing, right? When we were at Grace Baptist years ago, remember they had a Passover one year? Hey, you want to learn what the Passover is like for the Jewish people? Go. You can watch it, it's kind of cool. It's very interesting, you can see how all of the things point to Jesus, right? Very interesting, but you're not required to do that. Not at all. If somebody wants to have a Passover cedar and show you what it's like, great. If they don't, don't cut them down for not having one. Paul says they're only shadows of the substance found in Christ, okay? On the contrary, if they mandate such an observance, like the Passover will say, because it is a requirement under, requirement under the law, then they have reintroduced the law where it's already been fulfilled. They have set aside the grace of Christ and are now debtors to the entire law. That's what I just read you from Galatians 5.3. But Paul's point in verse 6 isn't about those who mandate such things. It is about different people desiring to honor the Lord in their own way. And so he says, he who observes the day observes it to the Lord. And he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, for he gives God thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not, oh, does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat and gives God thanks. As long as you got God on your mind, that's all that it matters, right? Okay, here's my question to you. That's the, this is going to be a tough one for you. I bet you one of you is going to be able to answer this properly. Actually not. Okay. Somebody is out working. We're going to pick on Tom today. Tom is out working and he's driving on his mower and he's mowing lawns and he's thinking about jesus and he's talking to the lord right and he has to stop that he's still talking to the lord pulls up his uh leaf blower puts it on his back starts walking around he's talking to the lord right he does that all day long good job tom okay now you got somebody that is going to the messianic synagogue that says you have to observe saturday sabbath and he's miserable all week long he's angry he never talks to the lord about anything which one is honoring the lord Oh, she got it. I told you. One person would get it. She got it. There you go. See the point? The point is that we are here to honor Christ. I was making a joke and you happened to get it. Anyway, nothing difficult about it. The whole point is that we have a relationship with the Creator because of Jesus Christ. Everything else is superfluous. Everything. We learn doctrine so that we can have that joy. 
And if we don't have it, then we end up doing the things that we shouldn't be doing and we're miserable about it. I didn't do that. And now God's going to be angry at me. Listen, he didn't send Christ to die on a cross so that he could be angry at you all day long. He sent you to Christ to the cross so that he could love you and dote on you. All right. Doesn't mean you're not going to have troubles. I'm not getting into a prosperity gospel with that one. Christ loves you, but there are going to be trials in this world. And guess what? Those trials actually can mean that he loves you, right? Um, so uh, if somebody's selling something. I don't know. They do that a lot. Anyway, um, we met the nicest girl about how long ago was that? About a month and a half ago? Two months? Three, what? Three or four weeks. Three or four weeks ago. This girl came in and she was selling stuff. And I'm like, oh, you know, here she is. And it was books, Christian books, right? Oh. She's from Mexico. Oh. And I'm like, oh, I'll buy a couple of those. And she said, here you go. And I handed her a $100 bill and she flipped. She's like, here, she started handing me other oh. stuff. I'm like, no, that's for you. This is a missionary girl from Mexico coming, coming here. Wow. And she's, she, she wanted, she wasn't doing it for money. She was doing it because she loved the Lord. And she stood and she prayed. Wasn't that wonderful? Oh, my hair standing up all over. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was before class one day. So, you know, that guy wasn't, he was, he was selling food or something, but you never know when somebody comes in, what you're going to get out of somebody, you know, 14 years old and she was on fire for Jesus. It was, it was wonderful. It was absolutely wonderful. It was refreshing. Anyway, didn't mean to get off on that, but it was really nice. Anyway, um, where was I? Um, oh yeah. Those who observe any or every day do so to the Lord. If they don't observe any day, they don't do so to the Lord. Again, the bony finger, which points at the observer or non-observer is actually making it, making an accusation against what the Lord has accepted. Likewise, those who eat whatever is set before them do so because the Lord has ordained that anything can be eaten. Go back to Genesis chapter 9 again, without violating any New Testament precept. Okay, now there are times where we are not to eat something. Isn't that right? That's coming in 1 Corinthians, where Paul will say. And what does he base it on? Offending the brother. Offending what? No, yes, idols, but the word is conscience. Idols is what it is. Offending a brother is the precept. It's based on conscience. And he says, not your conscience, but his. So it is offending a brother, but it's based on the conscience of the person. And I'll give you that example right now. And then we'll, this is going to be just very quick. I go to an idol. You know, uh, I go to the Thai temple up in Tampa. There's a Thai temple. They got really great food there. And I go buy something. Okay. Paul says, buy it. Eat it. Don't ask any questions. Just eat it. It's the, the earth is the Lord in all its fullness, he says. And then he says, but if somebody says to you, that was sacrificed to an idol, yeah. he says, don't eat it. And he says, not because of your conscience, because the Lord, the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. You can eat it, but because of his. Now he thinks you are condoning his religion. Don't eat it for his conscience. So you, what you do is you say, okay, I'll take it home, feed it to my dog. And you put it in your bag. And when you get in the car, you snack on the way home, <laughs> whatever. No, don't do that. Cause then you would have lied to him. But the point is that <laughs> there's right. nothing on this planet that you eat that is defiled in the sense that the, it is, the earth is Lord's in all its fullness. But when conscience comes into play, then don't eat it, but not your conscience, their conscience. We'll get into that. It's very detailed, mm -hmm. but Paul does qualify certain things you shouldn't eat, and that's the reason why. Okay, so we got that out of the way. Uh, let, let's see here. Where was I? Um, uh, oh, I, I even talk about it here. Yeah, um, uh, let's see here. And those who don't eat do so in understanding that they are not required to eat any particular thing. There's no mandatory food requirement in the New Testament, so they are free to not eat whatever they feel violates their conscience. 
In both instances, days and food, and in both instances, observance or non-observance, or eating or not eating, the person does so to the Lord, and they do so in thanks to God. Therefore, what has been received in gratitude and in the freedom found in Christ, it is sanctified and it is acceptable. How clear this is, and yet the waters are so easily muddied. Okay, and that's what Paul says, and he's writing to Timothy, and he says everything is sanctified by prayer. I I, I can't think of the word the uh, verse right now, but he says, you if you want to eat something, eat it, pray and eat it. You've sanctified it. If you want, you know, people are always saying, should I marry this person? Should I not marry that person? Listen, did God say that a person can marry a female? Right? Now I'm not talking about any other type of marriage. I'm talking about a guy wanting to marry a female. Okay. Well, how do you know if it's the right person or not? I love her. She loves me. Sanctify it by prayer and get married, right? Everything by prayer, it's sanctified. If it's not violating the scripture, you don't have to ask for a sign. You just figure, I'm either going to marry this person or I'm not going to marry this person, or I'm going to eat this or I'm not going to eat this. You just decide. If it's not in violation of scripture, pray about it and then do it, right? If you want a job, is the job acceptable according to the Bible? Is it something that's not unacceptable. Pray about it and do it. Don't wait for a sign because somebody else is going to get that job and you just didn't get it, right? Sanctify it by prayer. If it's acceptable to the Lord, do it if you want to do it, okay? That's what Paul says to do. Sanctify things through prayer and then move on. Don't wait for signs. Don't, you know, anyway, um, let's see here. Um, Yeah, these doubtful matters, which Paul speaks of, of food and days include many other issues not specifically addressed by Paul. Styles of clothing, moderate alcohol consumption, types of worship, music, these issues are left up to the individual. Go online and read about how bad it is to listen to modern Christian music. You'll get a thousand sites that say that. There's nothing in the... Do you know who is the great, great... There's a couple of them, but there's one that stands above all the others in my mind. Um, the uh, hymn writer of the past. Isaac Watts. Isaac Watts. First off of her lips. That's who I was thinking about. All right. Charles Wesley wrote more hymns than probably anybody. He wrote millions of them. Isaac Watts, though, wrote hymns that people remember. He wrote The Wonderful Cross, right? When I Survey the Wonderful Cross. Okay. I think Charles Wesley's the one that said, I would trade every hymn I've ever written for that one hymn. Okay. Guess what people did about Charles uh, Isaac Watts when he started writing hymns? They condemned him. Really? Yes. Oh, we need what? to we need to sing Davidic psalms oh, with no music. That was the with standard. No music. Yeah. Chanting. Yeah, chanting. Okay. I went to a church up in South Carolina where that's what they did. Oh, there's no music. We we sing Davidic psalms and we sing them without music. Right. And that is their standard. And they're legalists. You know, the women are all wearing bonnets and everybody's sitting there scared for their salvation. Right. It was Presbyterian, a Scottish Presbyterian church. Right. Yeah. Okay. And when Isaac Watts started writing these beautiful hymns, which everybody knows, everybody sings, all of a sudden he was condemned for it. Oh, that's terrible. You can't do that. Now he's the standard and they're taking his songs and they're using modern music and they say, you can't do that. That's terrible. It's insane. There's nothing wrong with that. If you want to get in 
I, be the music guy. The Jim music knows about guy. that. Yeah, it doesn't matter what Jim plays on Sunday. Somebody will not be happy with it on Sunday. Guarantee. There's one or two people that will say, I really hated that music today. Doesn't matter. He's the guy that's doing the music. If you want to do the music, come up and do it for him. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can't please all people all the time. That's right. But if if everyone started throwing stuff at me, then I'd say, okay. I'm yeah. done with this. Yeah, I know. But no, and people don't give them a hard time. I'm just saying somebody is muttering under their lips, I really hated that song. You know? And if he gives them a grief, then I didn't hear about it. I was making a point there is that that's right. Music is one place where you're going to upset somebody. Yeah. Guaranteed. But once again, I'm going to go through it. Styles of clothing. Okay. Oh. Moderate alcohol consumption. Is there anything in the Bible that forbids drinking? No. There are only two times in the Bible that it's actually forbidden. One is when the priests were in doing their duties in the temple. Right. Okay. And the second is something I typed up on Monday. Numbers chapter six, the Nazarite vow. Okay. No drinking during that time. After that, get back at it. Okay. Those are the only two times in the Bible that drinking is not permitted. Now, there are prohibitions against drinking. Right. Right. Be, do not be drunk with wine, but with the Holy Spirit. Don't be drunk. Right. right. But if you don't drink... That is fine. Don't judge people that do. If you do drink, people that don't drink should not judge you. That is a choice solely up to you. Don't say, well, you should just drink in your house and not let anybody see you. That is totally inappropriate. That is, you, people will try to put their limitations on you in some way or another. I'm at a restaurant and I'm having it. I'm not talking about me. I'm not saying whether I do or not. But if I'm in a restaurant and I'm having a glass of wine, somebody says, what are you doing? You should be doing that at home. I don't see that in this book, and I see that the first miracle that Jesus did, wine. he made wine, and he did it in public, right? Then he also drank wine. He explicitly said it with his own mouth, right? John the Baptist came neither eating nor drinking, all right? And they say he is a demon. The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and they say he is a glutton and a drunkard. Well, you can't call somebody a drunkard unless they saw him drinking wine. But they were imposing their words on him. He wasn't a drunkard. But if they see him drinking wine, they say, well, look, at that guy's drinking with the, the harlots. He must be a drunkard. But they couldn't have said it if he didn't have something to drink. Okay? Everybody got that? So if you're legalistic about that issue, you need to drop it. Any of these issues, clothes or uh, what was the other one I said? Clothes, moderate alcohol, some types of music, worship. Let those things go. Okay? We have to end. I'm going to read the life application. we got a couple more minutes and we're going to be done. Um, be ready to defend your freedoms in Christ. By knowing your Bible and what it allows. Life application. Let us accept those who eat different foods than us. And let us accept those who observe different days than us. And may we not find fault in their observances with the exception of those who mandate them as a precept, which is contrary to Scripture. Only in such instances should we stand against their poor doctrine, which can only lead others away from the truth, which is found in Jesus Christ. Okay, now, before we go, we've got about two more minutes. Tom Alley's birthday is on Sunday, and I think we should sing him happy birthday. On Saturday, I keep saying Sunday. I've said that four times today. Tom, happy birthday to you. The Sabbath Sunday. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Tom Alley. Happy birthday to you. Okay. Now, I will say for the people online that... No, that, that ain't going to happen. That ain't going to happen. Listen, I, I would like to say something while we are here. We have still another minute or so to go. So the people online know this, that the finest person that I know, and I mean this sincerely, 
the most wonderful soul that I could ever call a friend is Tom Alley. He's the humblest. He's the most wonderful servant of God. He is faithful to a T. He is never, never missing a day on Saturday with mission work. He loves the people down there. He loves what he does. He's such a joy and a blessing to be around. I want everybody in the world that listens to this to know that we have a real Christian man here. He is the most wonderful guy. Happy birthday to Tom Alley. That's right. Okay, now I'm going to turn this back so everybody can say goodbye on there. But I forgot to mention this. If anybody wants some uh, batteries, there's...